welcome to the Pleasurable Success Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Rose, and business success and mindset coach, speaker, corporate dropout turned entrepreneur, and the host of the Embodied Coach Masterclass. And I am on a mission to inspire as many people as I possibly can to step into their power, recognize their unconditional worthiness, and ultimately build a life they are absolutely obsessed with. And through this podcast, I will be spreading my message along with some powerful guest speakers, and we will be talking all things business strategy, mindset, manifesting, and of course, making your success a pleasure-filled experience. So join us in making our reality exceed our wildest dreams. How are you, my love? Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm really excited to be here with you and just absorb you and learn from you and have you speak to my audience and speak your truth here because I know you have a powerful mission and I'm really excited to have you here. Oh, thank you for having me as well. So why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do and your mission in this world? Yeah. So my name is Nike Oria. Um, I do a plethora of things, but they all stem back to being ancestrally led. So I work a lot with my ancestors, doing a lot of um, generational healing and ancestral healing and all of that, really connecting to like earth and our power here on earth. Um, And then what stems from that is... um, doing ancestral healing one-to-one with people to create safe and sacred space within ourselves, like working with our inner child and our inner critic alongside our ancestors, as well as intuitive um, development, which connecting with our ancestors and the inheritance that they passed down to us. A lot of our gifts do come from like that familiar lineage connection. Um, And then also creating sacred space for especially black and indigenous and BIPOC healing um, in order to kind of help the collective heal as one, but in a way that's proactive rather than like bypassing. Um, and then I literally work with the earth. I do crystal jewelry. So <laughs> it's all stems to being ancestrally led and connecting with the earth. Yeah. And I just got some beautiful crystals and earrings and a necklace, I believe from one of my clients who is one of your clients of your jewelry. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> And it was like, so beautiful and synchronistic how like the timing of me inviting you here and and Catherine buying your your jewelry and gifting it to me it was just beautiful yeah um so something that you said that like really really sparked my interest was the connection between our ancestors and our intuition I would love to learn more (laughs) yeah um I'm West African. My parents are West African. And so, um, and, and then I was, I'm the first generation in the United States. So I always had this intersectionality between, you know, the more Western world and then like the ancient world of earth um, through their side. And so one of the things that like my uh, father always told um, me was that my great, great grandfather was an oracle. So he like 
saw things, visions that came to life. And then he would actually help whoever was the king at that time um, with certain things that they needed. And so um, that kind of sparked my own intuition, how I see things too. Like I would consider myself um, the way my intuition plays out is like an oracle. Mm -hmm. So um, once I kind of like tapped into that, I was starting to help other people connect with their ancestral inheritance or gifts, Mm -hmm. um, especially when it connected to their intuition or mediumship or whatever have you, or like just healers, like medicine woman Mm -hmm. um, or men or medicine person. and so that's where I really would see how there is an ancestral connection to these gifts that um, we come into. And actually, it makes sense because once we connect ancestral, they kind of give us uh, the playbook that each of our family lines have, um, which can be really beneficial than like us trying to figure it out on ourselves. Yeah. So like you see a lot of people who are intuitive and maybe like, um, the generation before I didn't tap into those gifts, they feel really alone and they feel like really othered. Um, but our ancestors are actually there to help support us um, and help us navigate, especially when it comes to our intuition and our intuitive gifts. Mm, that's so powerful. Um, and I really feel that that generation of like people feeling that loneliness and like mis- a little bit of misunderstood. Mm-hmm. Um Yes. So what is something, what is something you would recommend for the person who's maybe feeling that way and and does want to start tapping into their gifts? Is there any, like maybe one tangible way that they can really start to connect with their ancestors and, and have that blueprint or be gifted that blueprint, I guess, from, from their ancestors? Yeah. So I would say like the, um, the modality of connecting with your ancestors, if it's like a, um, in a physical or metaphysical way can be a little bit complicated, but um, I tell a lot of people that they don't have to do it in like a witchy magical way. Um, especially if you're uncertain of like some of my ancestors historically have been like this or like this. So like, I always tell people, if you want to start um, understanding like these parts of yourself, like the gifts or the wounds that are happening, um, And you want to do it in a safe container where um, you don't have to be so conscious of like the things that you have to put in place in order to make sure that you're protected. Just go start journaling. Um, Like start with a prompt that's like, I want to connect with my ancestral inheritance and then just like channel the messages that are coming through. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't have to have an altar set up or like have to have... Um, an incarnation that you have to say ahead of time, like journaling is the most like safe and direct way that you can connect and understand those complex parts that will begin to flow out um, as soon as you touch the pen to paper. Mm, And I'm guessing it's like, don't second guess what's coming through. (laughs) Yeah, it's a lot of trusting yourself. Um, that's, That's a really important part of it too, I think. I do a lot of work around self-betrayal and self-abandonment because that's very connected to not only trusting our intuition, but trusting our ancestral connection. So yeah, trusting yourself is really, really important. I love that. Take your journal out. And I feel like I know my audiences are journals because I'm constantly giving them journal prompts. So (laughs) go get that journal out. And, and simply just let what comes through, come through without having to second guess it. 
Um, I do, I do something a little similar with, um, if I'm feeling like lost or stuck or just a little disconnected from the vision of my future, I'll, or if I even just want support and like in the up level, I'll connect with like the next level version of me. Mm. And I'll just be like, what do you have to say to me? (laughs) And Like, just let, let her tell me, let her guide me. Um, and I feel like that's a, just a different version of, of having that, that ancestors and your inner voice be led and or let you lead you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I love that. Thank you. That was super tangible. And I know they're going to have fun with that. And (laughs) And when you guys do it, like screenshot it and tag Nike and I, because we would love to see that you're doing that practice. Yeah, definitely. Amazing. So you do a lot of work with, um, creating safe spaces and teaching others how to create safe spaces for the BIPOC community. And I, first of all, want to say thank you for doing this work. Um, you know, it's, it's not happening enough. And I know that, and I just want to praise you and say, thank you for being and having the courage to do this. Cause I know it's hard and I know it's scary and it's just beautiful to be in the presence of someone who has that courage. And it's like, fuck that. Like it's, it's done. (laughs) It's ending, it's ending and it's ending with you. Um, and so I'd love for you to speak to speak to that and maybe a little bit about what makes a safe space for a BIPOC human, um, and how all of us can start to do better jobs in that. Mm. Yeah, there's like, it's so complex. So we'll just see (laughs) where it takes. Yeah. Um, (laughs) where I start and how, where it takes us. But um, I would say, so I was really inspired by my own um, experience. Once mm-hmm. I entered the spiritual community, I actually was getting re-traumatized. Mm-hmm. So it was this weird cycle of like, I'm going into this healing space with trauma and I'm finally um, brave enough to heal it, to confront it. And then I'm getting re-traumatized. Yeah. Um, so that cycle was just exhausting. And um, I don't even know what prompted. Oh, actually what prompted it was actually, because I'm also, I say my muggle job is I'm a special education teacher. Oh. Um, so I was <laughs> I was doing my master's in special education and the education um, programs that we have, um, the more modern programs that we have around education and teaching, especially from kindergarten to um, 12th grade is a lot of trauma, being trauma informed and also being inclusive. So we're diving into all these like complex texts about having a safe, like creating safe spaces for students because a student can't learn if it's constantly or they're constantly being traumatized. If they're worrying about other things, they just can't physically integrate or mentally integrate new information. And so I was seeing the parallels of that with my own experience and trying to heal. Um... And so that really propelled me to, um, especially with my ancestral connection and my ancestors, I come from a line of ancestors too, who have always talked about or against mm-hmm. um, specific structures of oppression. Mm-hmm. To be frank. Um, even like I mentioned, my parents are West African. I hold West African 
um, citizenship and like even the cycles there of like colonization and colonialism and like the pain and the cycle that like still goes on today was also being reflected in my healing journey. So I really went within and like try to understand the root. And the root is that a lot of people just don't care that a lot of people are dehumanized, especially when it comes to black and indigenous people. And so we don't uphold healing and um, their humanness as much as we do white people, frankly. Yeah. So I was entering these healing spaces and I was just like, if I'm investing my time and my money in these healing spaces, yet they're not making space or room for me or acknowledging me, then what's the point? Like, it's just actually disrespectful (laughs) um and so I started vocalizing this and I actually got so much pushback and I still get so much pushback um people people don't like to be told when they're wrong yeah (laughs) they don't like to be called out (laughs) yeah yeah um but I had those some people though who were telling me that I was vocalizing something that they could never right because we also We've been socialized, um, especially if you're part of a marginalized group, we have been socialized to internalize our oppression. So because we're used to navigating the world in a certain way, we internalize it and then we um, subscribe to it out of assimilation and out of survival. So I was doing a lot of deprogramming and I was breaking away from a lot of internalized oppression. And once you see it, you can't unsee it and you just have to keep going. So um, that really propelled me to vocalize it more and actually launch programs um, to prioritize Black and Indigenous. I say I prioritize Black and Indigenous, femme and non-binary people healing um, and then BIPOC healing because also once we prioritize Black and Indigenous healing, then everyone's healing would be prioritized because that's the most marginalized group in the healing community. So naturally, once you take those things into consideration, then everyone will have a space and autonomy over their healing in that way as well. So um, yeah, that's how I kind of got into this work. And then of course the ancestral generational cycles that like come up for everybody when we're starting to do this work. It's like a lot of times we're doing something and we don't realize and you ask ourselves why am I doing this mm-hmm. and it's because it's like a little ancestral programming that's been passed down and yeah. so if we can navigate that too and heal that as well it helps us with healing this reality mm-hmm. yeah well before I like do any follow-up questions I just want to like say like you handled that big question and it <laughs> took you in the perfect place <laughs> It was very beautiful. Thank you. Um, And well, first thing that I wanted to say, it was uh, um, touching on the last thing that you spoke on with the like healing from the ancestral piece. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've, if you've heard this, but, and I don't know if you've heard it and don't believe it or what, but I recently was having a conversation with a girlfriend of mine about how um, 
you, your eggs are inside of the eggs of your mother, who's inside of the eggs of your grandmother and, and so on and so on and so on. And really, I don't know how far it goes on, but really it's like your DNA is being coded with those things. Yeah. Since I don't, I don't know how long, but from generations and generations and generations ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I totally believe that connection. And also um, trauma, it stays in the generations for 14 generations. Wow. Yeah. So that's also being passed down. So even if you look at things historically, like why do we do certain things? And then you look at like the historical things that have happened, it always, it's always aligned. It always makes sense. You always see the connection. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's not even only like programming, like mindset programming, like my family believes this and they passed it down to me. So now I believe this. It's literally in our actions. It's in the way that we speak it's the way that we walk it's the way that we think like it's so embedded in everything we do and um a lot of people aren't encouraged to question it because we just don't think about questioning it mm-hmm. um and some of it even questioning it isn't necessarily bad it's just like inquiring okay why what really propels me and inspires me to do this mm-hmm. is it because it's pointing to some trauma that I need to understand? Is it because it's pointing so, to some gifts that I could develop? Or is it just something that just is occurring and I'm not fully conscious of it? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's wild. <laughs> I, I love the way you explained that. I was just letting that land because absolutely, like almost having like um, like this kid-like curiosity with it so you can really get to the bottom of it instead of like, shaming and judging why this is happening the way that it is Mm -hmm. does that that land yeah a hundred percent and it's also too I think a lot of people when they start healing it feels lonely because sometimes we especially in the western world we're more individualistic more indigenous communities are more community-based so when we're in an individualistic mindset we're like thinking okay for example if you have scarcity mindset how has my scarcity mindset affected me in this timeline, in this reality for myself? And we might do some inquiry around, oh, my parents, so maybe they passed this thought to me and this, but rarely do I see people go, well, maybe what happened three generations ago when my family was in a famine and they were literally physically going through that and also mentally they were going through something and that's being passed down. And so sometimes when people find themselves in the cycle and they're like, but I've been healing this, why is it coming up again? It's like, because your healing was just surface level and it's actually deeper. Yeah. Like it actually has to go, to, there's another root within the root. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'll, I'll never forget um, the first time I had a conversation with my grandma about like what her relationship like was with money when she was younger and And I was like, why have I never thought to ask this before? Like, this is such important information to know and to live and to transcend because like, this is my family's legacy that we're living out. Right. Um, Yeah. I feel like, I feel like the listeners should do that. Like if you have a a grandparent or even a great grandparent that you can connect with and, and ask those, those questions, I feel like it's very insightful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Beautiful. Um, I'm just going to look at my notes. Oh, 
So one of the things that you said about, um, the, like you being in, was it getting your master's or yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So getting your master's and, and seeing these kids and, and, and learning how to create and hold safe spaces and inclusive spaces for them. You said that like, they weren't able to fully learn if they're not in that safe space. Yeah. And I wrote down something I wanted to ask you, is it because they're in the state of being re-traumatized that they're in fight or flight constantly. Yeah. They stay in the reptilian brain, which is your fight and flight. And they're not able to go to their active brain to start inquiring and building upon new knowledge. So it's like, that's why like homework is becoming obsolete because it's not fair for certain students. Like a student might be going home where there's like yelling, constantly yelling. And then they have to think about doing homework. Like it's just not fair. And I always say that us, like students become, or kids become adults, but then we tend to like forget the adults. So it's like, we focus on children, which is amazing and very needed in all realms of like healing or education but then like the transition to adulthood isn't like okay now all your issues are gone <laughs> like yep. it's still there and so um just you know being a special education teacher and really having that education has really helped me with this work as well because we're just bigger kids <laughs> and that's also <laughs> like our inner child too so yeah. like if as we're children, these studies have been done, like you can't in- integrate new knowledge if you don't feel safe, our adult selves are going to feel that too. Yeah. It's not like our brain's going to switch to like saying, well, you're going to feel safe no matter what, because now you're adult. Like uh-huh. now, if anything, you might feel even more um, unsafe because you don't necessarily have, um, what's the word I'm looking for? you're, you might not be as sheltered as a child. Yeah. Yeah. Have that sense of protection from from family guardian. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's more of that in individual, I think you use the word individualized. Individualistic. Yeah. Individualistic. Thank you. Um, wow. That was a beautiful explanation. I wrote it down and I was like, I hope I'm on the right track here. (laughs) No, yeah. It's exactly that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, and that is so correlated with, um, in the coaching and entrepreneurial world, because we we're constantly in this new state of learning, you know, mm-hmm. like we're always absorbing new information. Um, and so what was it like for you to make that transition of like, okay, how can I start to create a, cre- create a safe space for myself? And then as I do that, help others do that for each other and for themselves. What was that transition transition like for you? <sighs> I would even say I'm still in the transition, to be honest with you, because I'm constantly still getting harmed because I talk about these things. Like, um, I have a podcast called Pretty Intuitive Podcast. And about two weeks ago, I made an episode talking about well-meaning allyship, how sometimes it can be harmful. And um, the backlash I got from that, like, immense amount of like gaslighting and massage noir and so for a hot second I felt so unsafe and I was like I can't do this like can I do this should I continue um but I guess what just got me back was like my ancestors to be honest like I just feel there I'm able to do the things that they 
weren't able to do. Um, Oh, that just gave me chills. Yeah. And I'm so privileged even compared to like where they are, even compared to where my parents are. So that's kind of what propels me to keep going, but I'm still making this transition because I still have to be in the work in the trauma like racial trauma is never going to go away from me um it's just going to be constant it's just the coping I think is has shifted from like maybe I was younger Mm -hmm. or um again understanding my internalized oppression and actively working against it has been helpful and empowering me Mm -hmm. but I'm still in the transition I think I'll always be yeah Yeah, I think that's a a really good point because like it's not something you can just do for yourself like this is a it it, this is a community thing this is a societal Mm -hmm. thing you know like it's not something that you can just like fix because you want to fix it it's it's gonna take every single person having the humility. Like when, when you just said, even I have more privilege than your parents and your grandparents, mm-hmm. I was just in awe because there are, there are white people who have trouble accepting their privilege. Mm. And, and when you just said that, like it, it's, it made me a little emotional. Cause it's like, like you have, you have the humility and, and the, and the, I just, I guess the awareness to say that when a lot of, a lot of people, specifically white people can't do that. Um, yeah. I just wanted to praise you and, and recognize that and cost some of y'all out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I noticed that a couple of years ago too. Um, even like <laughs> about a year ago, we had like this quiz, I forget what it's called exactly, but it's like a privilege quiz. Uh-huh. And so, um, we did it at my school site that I was at teaching and I'm the only black teacher because also there's not a lot of people of color who are teachers. The teaching force is 70% white women. Um, and so we were going around, it was like questions of like, that were also very thought provoking. Um, of course, like the standard questions of privilege, but some of them were like, could you easily go to any hair salon and get your hair done? Things like that. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I was doing it and I remember I got the score 34 Mm -hmm. and I was like, wow, that is pretty high. I was like, oh my gosh, I am pretty privileged. (laughs) And then we go and we line up by the scores. People were saying, they're like, yeah, my score is 90. And I'm like, 90? Wait. And it turns out I was the lowest score. But even within my 35 score, I was like, wow, I'm really privileged. I don't know. (laughs) I think it's just like this deep pondering, right? I'm like, well, like I'm not physically disabled. So like, that's that's a privilege like you just see all the things that you where you're really grateful for and like the things that you're really grateful for um so I think that's where it stems from like I can recognize that there are definitely some hardships but I feel like really lucky within the communities I have around me as well yeah yeah that's a beautiful story. And I know, I know we were like giggling, but it's also like, that's a huge deal and a, a big thing to recognize. Um, and what just like a moment of like, oh, oh shit. Like this is, this is a big gap that you're not alone in bridging it, but 
you're choosing to bridging it, <laughs> closing it, bridging it. I guess that works. Um, you're choosing to, to take that on. And like you said earlier, like a lot of people just don't care enough. Um, mm-hmm. And whether it's because they were taught not to, or because they're choosing not to, whatever it is, it's, it's still bringing light to it. So we can collectively start to do better and, and bridge that gap as a society. Cause that is, that's mind blowing. Um, mm-hmm. they're 34 and everyone's like, Oh, I got 90. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I got 34. yeah. I was like, so surprised. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I love, I love your, I can just feel your, like your heart and how, how light it is even in, in this heaviness. Like it's, it's mm-hmm. really, it's really something. And I'm really feeling it right now. Yeah. It's literally just conditioning. I think like we all have a positionality and like, I was even something that a lot of people like to say is like, Oh, black women are strong. And I actually resent that statement so much because Tell me more. the expectation is for black women to be strong. Like we have no other choice. Mm. Like that's just the expectation. So like that was our default in yeah. society. So, because we've literally been conditioned to, to the fact, like to the point that's really hard to decondition it. Like sure I could do a lot of deprogramming and like I mentioned, understand my internalized oppression, but like, because most of my life has been like this, there's certain things that we, it's just, it's just, that's just how we were raised, born into, like socialized. Wow. And so I think that's also the thing too. Like some people were socialized not to care. Mm-hmm. Some people were socialized um, not to be compassionate towards a certain group of people. And some people were conditioned to. So it's all about our conditioning as well. That makes it so, it's so nuanced and it's so complex. Um, and that's the hard work too, because if you're conditioned to do something, if you're socialized to do something and that's your comfort zone, when things start to get uncomfortable, (laughs) people are really resistant to it. Yeah. Yeah. Let that land guys. Like I want you to go rewind to when she said she resents the statement that black women are strong. I, I like want that to really land for them because it hit home for me. So like rewind a couple minutes. I didn't even like that didn't even cross my mind. And so thank you for, for presenting that to me. That was very insightful. Um, wow. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Um, okay. I had one other question. Mm. What was it? What was it? I wrote down the word acceptance. Um, Oh, I think it was about when you were saying that like a lot of people don't look at the, look at these things. Um, and I think it was specifically black and indigenous people not, um, wanting to care or talk about these things because of wanting that acceptance. You didn't use the word acceptance. Oh, assimilation. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Forced assimilation, which to every degree, a lot of, um, people can, relate to force assimilation, even in a historical level. I always say that white supremacy, for example, it's obviously doesn't benefit people of color and obviously doesn't benefit black and indigenous people, but also does a huge disservice to people who are not characterized as white. Mm. As white, the term white has shifted over 
years due to assimilation because the only way that white supremacy works is if there's a majority of people so white supremacy has like shifted and changed changed in order to allow people in to sustain that vibration that vibration of oppression so a great example is like when people were coming through from ellis island i mean people still come through ellis island (laughs) When it was the bulk back in the day, <laughs> yeah, back in the day of uh, people coming through Ellis Island, you would see that a lot of people would um, change their names, right, because of um, different bigotry or prejudice against certain groups in Europe. Mm-hmm. And so then now you have people who are really disconnected to their ancestors or to that lineage because of that forced assimilation for a perceived easier lifestyle so that's why you see a lot of people of color they still have a really strong root Mm -hmm. right unless um um no yeah most people of color who are immigrating they still connect to like their cultures they still understand the food they still have their family name but I've noticed especially in the United States it's this weird like disconnection of people are telling you like I'm like 20 percent English and like 15% German, but they don't really connect to the culture itself because they were forced to assimilate. And so that could be really painful and traumatic too, but people don't realize it because, um, again, we've been conditioned to be like, well, you're just a melting part of people. And like, now you're American. So it doesn't really matter. But imagine if your ancestors went through something a hundred years ago and their homeland and it's um, showing up in your own life, but you can't even tap into it because that disconnection, because you were forced to assimilate or your family was forced to assimilate. And then it can happen with like people of color too, to get closer Um, we would be forced to assimilate in certain ways, whether it's like changing our own names, right? Mm -hmm. Like I go, my nickname is Nike, but I have a traditional African name, but I was forced to assimilate because people wouldn't say my traditional African name. Mm -hmm. Uh, They were saying it was too hard. So I'll butcher it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So like things like that. So Mm -hmm. assimilation affects so many people and there's like a range of assimilation and it's the energy of assimilation is very um it kind it's a kind of like self-abandonment because Mm -hmm. it's like you're abandoning these aspects of yourself that were so unique in order to be accepted by the majority yeah well and and you know I believe that acceptance is like a a core human desire you know Mm -hmm. and and it's just so unfortunate that you have to fit into a box or a category in order for that to take place um but wow that was that was very educational and and do you have maybe a like a tangible way for the person listening to this to who maybe has been um forced to assimilate to connect back to i guess that part of them Mm. I think it's just, um, again, it's just like understanding where you have self-abandoned and it'll bring you back to the part of yourself that's ready to be accepted. Mm -hmm. 
So uh, the first thing that came to mind when you were um, asking the question was like people who people please, right? It comes from a place of wanting to be accepted. And oftentimes people pleasers resent <laughs> the people that they're pleasing because oh, yeah. they're not actually doing the things that they want. Yeah. That's a form of self-abandonment, right? So it's like going back to understanding like, why am I doing this thing? And what do I actually want for myself? Because a lot of us, we just want something from ourselves. It's not even that we want it from other people. We've been, society tells us that we want it from other people, but really we just want it from ourselves. Yes, holy crap. Goosebumps all over my body. Self-acceptance. That's Mm -hmm. what we're craving. Yeah. Because who told you that the things you did aren't acceptable? Other people. Yep. Like we were traumatized to people, please. We were traumatized to betrayal selves because someone in our childhood told us, well, if you do that, that's bad. Or like, are you going to do that? Like questioning ourselves. And then we internalize that. Yeah. And really all we want is acceptance from ourselves. Yeah. Whew. Oh, I love that. I know that's going to land. I know it's going <laughs> to land with every single person. It like opened me up. Um <laughs> Sorry, (laughs) phone call coming in. Um, Wonderful. So I have one last question that I ask every single one of my podcast guests. Mm -hmm. Um, And the name of the podcast is Pleasurable Success. And really what it's about is not having humans attach their worth to their achievements and Mm -hmm. and knowing that they are unconditionally worthy. Mm And so I would love to know your perspective on how the listeners can make their success a a pleasure-filled experience. Um, First of all, I love that's the mission of the podcast. Like, that's so true. (laughs) Um, But how to make your success more pleasurable. Well, I'm a Taurus, so we're all about pleasure, right? Yeah. So the most radical thing you could do is rest. Like people say that rest is the most radical thing you could do in the face of oppression, in the face of capitalism, in the face of anything. So prioritizing your rest, you know, nurturing yourself, taking a break um, and actually doing it not out of necessity, not because it's like, I'm forced to do this. The universe is telling me to take a break because nothing's working for me. But like, I choose to rest. I choose this thing because I deserve it, because I'm worthy, because I want to enjoy resting. I think now resting has been like, either it's like, we're forced to do it because we've just been so depleted and burned out. Or if we do it, we're considered lazy. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, choosing to do it, it can be the most radical thing. Who chooses to rest nowadays? Like not a lot of people. So yeah, that's what I would say. I love that so much. Rest is an integral part of my, my business and my life. I mean, obviously my life, but like choosing to rest before I get to the place of burnout because I've been there. Um, and I love that you said that too, because even before this podcast, I was like, Nike, I have to eat and sit on the couch and just like chill for a little bit because I I know, I know my, my point of, um, having to force or not forcefully rest, but, um, having, not having the choice to rest and just burning out. Yeah. Um, So listening to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Like 
not self-abandoning your urge to rest right like I love when people do ask that like they ask or like honestly I can't do this right now or like can we shift because it's like you are listening to yourself and you are having autonomy over yourself and it's so powerful so like when you sent that message I was like yeah of course like I would never be offended ever and and I felt that too and I I really feel like the more we we do listen to our our bodies and our our intuition on that um we're changing the paradigm of success and what Mm -hmm. success has to look like you know Um, because you can be wildly successful and take a nap (laughs) yeah a hundred percent yes yeah in fact, okay. most people who are widely successful are taking naps. They're taking naps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, Nike, this has been such a pleasure. And I really thank you and appreciate you for being here and sharing your magic with, with my audience today. Um, where can they find you? Where do you like to hang out the most? Well, you can follow me on Instagram. My Instagram is Nike Aurea Intuitive. It's just N-I-K-E-A-U-R-E-A Intuitive. Um, I also have a website and like we mentioned, journaling to connect with your ancestors. I have a freebie on my site that you can check out if you're interested in doing that. And I also have a quiz if you're interested of if you are the one to break these cycles. So you could check out my website www.nikeaurea.com and the jewelry shop is there too everything that's magical is there so um those are a couple ways that you can connect with me amazing oh i love it and all of that will be in the show notes for you guys to just go click and and oh my gosh i'm gonna take the quiz (laughs) Oh, that's epic. Um, thank you so much again. And I'm going to end it now because it's 444 my time and that's my magic number. (laughs) Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the pleasurable success podcast. If you vibed with me and this episode, please be sure to share it with someone who you know will benefit from it and take a little screenshot, post it on IG and be sure to tag me at Sarah Rose underscore D that way you can say what's up and slide in your DMs. And of course, be sure to subscribe so you can get notified on when the next episode drops and that you're not missing out. Get out there, illuminate this world with your magic and remember how worthy you are of having it all.